We are on Ksubis Nunheim and Aleph 55a, three lines, three, four lines from the top. And our Gemara now will be discussing four different situations, they're not connected to each other, but four different situations where there is a machlokas, there is a dispute uh, between the people in Pumbadisa and the people of Masa Machsya. Two different uh, major cities uh, where the Jews lived during the times of the Gemara in the 400s. Um, and four disputes, three out of the four have to do with uh, something to do with Iksuba, which is why we are discussing this here. Uh, one of them uh, does not have to do with Iksuba, but it's mentioned because we're discussing various disputes between Pumbadisa and uh, the people of Mas and Machsya. So says the Gemara. It marks Subas Banan Dechren. Pambadisa Amri Lo Tarfim Yushibadi Yarsun Tanan. Bene Masamachsa Amri Tarfim Yushibadi Yasun Tanan. Vehilza Lo Tarfim Yushibadi Yarsun Tanan. So this is discussing the Ksubas Banan Dechren. The Ksubas Banan Dechren we've had in the last parak, the last chapter. And we also mentioned it in the last class. Ksubas Banan Dechren is the fact that the sons. Uh, if let's say we have a situation where the wife passes away first, and then the husband, so the wife never received her ksuba, so we give that ksuba to her her sons. Let's say he married again um, and had children from that second marriage, so we do not divide the estate equally between all of the children. First, we give the ksuba amount to uh, the sons of that deceased wife who never received her ksuba, so they receive the ksuba. Uh, and then we divide up the estate. So that's referred to as Ksuba's Banandichran. They received the Ksuba, also any gifts that she brought into the marriage from her father. That's also included in this Ksuba's Banandichran. Um, and they basically uh, they basically receive it. There's a question of, how are they receiving this? Is this really part of the Yerusha? Is this part of the laws of inheritance? This is like, this is a, uh, before we divide up the estate and they inherit from the estate, they will inherit from this ksuba. They will receive the ksuba as a yerusha, as inheritance. Or do we view this as an obligation? There's an obligation that the father placed upon himself when he wrote the ksuba uh, that he would give this to his children. And so it's really viewed as an obligation. What's the difference? Who cares? So there's a big difference. Uh, because when it's just a regular obligation, so we know that how could people collect when there's a regular obligation? So first they collect from the person who... Uh, obligated himself. But let's say he doesn't have any money. So then you could collect from any property that he sold to somebody else. There's a lien on that property and they could collect from that property. They have the right to collect from that property. Well, that's only true if it's a regular obligation. If it's inheritance, if it's Yerusha, uh, so the children have no right to uh, collect Yerusha from, collect inheritance from other property that the father already sold uh, prior to his death, they don't have the ability, they don't have the right to collect that. Uh, so here too, there's a question by Ksuba's ban and They are now receiving the Ksuba amount. Let's say the father doesn't uh, have any money or doesn't have enough money to pay even for this amount for the Ksuba amount. Are they allowed to go ahead and now collect it from uh, from the property that the father sold during his lifetime? There's a lien on that property with regards to other obligations. Would that also apply here? So that's a dispute. Pambadisa says no, they cannot. They cannot uh, take it that property from, uh, from uh, the people that he sold it to because the language is in the Mishnah, it says Yarsun. It's a language of inheritance. 
the people of Masamatsa said that they could because it says Yasvon. It's it, it, they have a different uh, version where it sounds like it's a, it's a regular obligation. But the law, in the end of the day, is that they are not allowed to collect it. It's viewed halachically as an inheritance. Since it's viewed as an inheritance, so therefore they are not allowed to uh, collect uh, their payment from property that the father sold during his lifetime. Okay, that is case number one. Case number two. Mitaltali visna benayu beloshvua. Lesna benayu, pamudisa amri beloshvua, benemasa maksa amri bishvua, velchza beloshvua. Essentially as follows. We've mentioned in the past that in general, uh, the husband has to pay the ksuba with karka, with land. That's how he pays the ksuba. However, if he explicitly states that, that I want to pay you the ksuba with a specific movable object, uh, with a specific movable object, whatever that is, uh, something very, very expensive, um, and that's how he will pay the ksuba, with that object. Uh, so in general, in a regular case of when she collects the ksuba, the rabbis required her to take an oath. Uh, let's say it's a case where the husband is not around to defend himself whether or not he already uh, paid the ksuba or not. And she, she's claiming that she did not receive the ksuba. We make her take an oath to say that she did not receive this, the ksuba uh, because he's not around to make a claim one way or the other, uh, to, to, to agree or, or to say that, no, I already paid the ksuba. Now, that applies in a regular case because we're concerned that she was already paid. However, if it's a, a one particular uh, object, if it's something very, very expensive and it's still... Uh, in the house of the husband, um, either he's not alive or they got divorced. Um, so then she doesn't have to take an oath because it's obvious that uh, she wasn't paid yet. It's still in the hands of the husband. The question becomes, and this is where the dispute exists, is let's say that object was lost. Everybody agrees that object was lost. So she's not collecting from that object. Are we concerned that she, uh, that she will collect from some other object already previously or not? Are we not concerned that, uh, listen, she was only supposed to take it from that object. She obviously, everybody agrees it was lost. She didn't collect it from that object. We're not concerned that she collected it from something else. And so therefore, she would not have to take an oath. So with regards to this, Pambadisa says she doesn't have to take an oath. The people of Masa and Masa say she would have to take an oath in this case. And the law is, again, like Pambadisa, she would not have to take an oath. There's no real reason for us to be concerned that she was already paid. She was supposed to get paid from that expensive uh, object. That expensive object is lost, so she, we, we don't assume that she was paid with something else. She does not have to take an oath, even though in general she would have to take an oath. In this case, she would not have to take an oath. That is case number three. No, number two, sorry. Case number three now. Case number three. Yichela ara barba mitzarnaha beloshvua. Bechad matzra, pamadisa amri beloshvua. Bnei masamachsa amri beloshvua. Bechazah beloshvua. Essentially, same case of the ksuba, except he doesn't. The husband doesn't designate a movable object; rather, he designates a certain land. Now, if he designates land, then he uh, explains and shows where the borders are for this land. So then, it's very clear that uh, we do not make her take an oath when she collects from this land, because it's clear what land we're referring to. He provided us with the four borders, and so we know this is her land. There's no reason for her to take an oath. Obviously, she didn't collect from anywhere else. The question becomes, and this is the dispute, of let's say he, he didn't uh, properly explain what the borders are. He only gave one border. So are we concerned that maybe she collected in the past from uh, the field that's to the side of it? That's not what she's asking for right now. Again, it wasn't explained clearly. So maybe she, he only explained one, 
one area that's the border. So maybe she already collected from the past. So again, Pumbadisa here says we are not concerned for that. Just like he said, the people of Pumbadisa said this earlier that we do not make her take an oath. We are not concerned that uh, she might have already collected the Ksuba. The people Masa say that we are concerned and therefore she does have to take an oath. And the law is, like Pumbadisa again, that she does not have to take an oath. We are not concerned uh, that she already collected and therefore she, uh, and therefore, uh, she does not have to take an oath. Now, in general, for all these cases, again, we're talking about cases where the husband is not around. Either he died or they got divorced and he's not around for whatever reason. And so therefore there's this concern or potential concern that maybe she already collected. And since he's not around, maybe she'll attempt to try to collect again. Um, but uh, there are various exceptions to this rule. In general, she has to take an oath. We just saw that in these various cases, she does not have to take an oath because there is no such concern in those cases. Okay, the case number four, the last case of these different disputes between the people of Pumbadisa and the people of Masa This last case has nothing to do, the way Rashi, our classic uh, commentator, explains it, has nothing to do with Aksuba. Amal Edim, Kasu Essentially, as follows. If a person tells witnesses, this is just uh, by, they're, they're, they're saying this, they're appointing agents uh, to write and to sign a document that says that they're giving a certain gift to somebody. They're giving a gift to, to a friend. And they're obligating themselves to give this gift. They, they basically, they can't back out of it. So if they performed a specific type of a kinyan, if they did a, a very, uh, they, they picked up the, the handkerchief, something that uh, we do around Pesach time when we sell our chametz, we appoint an agent, so we pick up uh, some a pen or a handkerchief to show that we're serious about it. Uh, so here too, if the person picked up, performed this act of a, uh, of an acceptance of this transaction, of this giving of this gift. Uh, so then we don't have to ask any more questions. We don't, we don't have to ask any more questions. Um, and and we, 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 we write it and we sign it and we give it. However, if he didn't do that, let's say he didn't do that. So then if he didn't do that, um, so then after he afterwards, do we have to make sure that he's very that he's serious about this? If he didn't perform the Kenyan, this act action, do we have to ask him? Are you, are you, at the time that they're about to write it, do we have to ask them? Ask him, are you sure? Are you sure about this? So the people of Pumdisa say, no, we don't have to ask him. If he told it to us to write it, to, we're his agent to write this document down. We don't have to ask him if he really wants it to be written down at the time of the writing. We assume that he didn't change his mind. The people of Masa Masa says, no, we have to be careful about it. We have to ask him. Before we write this document, again, this the reason why is because he never performed this action to show that he's serious about it. He never performed. He never picked up the handkerchief. He never picked up the pen to show that he's serious about it. And so, therefore, we have to ask him. The law is here that, like Masa Masa, that we do have to ask him. So, in this case, it is like Masa Masa, where Tzarechim Luchebe, we do have to ask him before they before they actually write down this document, where this would obligate him to. Give a certain gift. Okay, those are all four cases, four different cases of a dispute between the people of Pumbadisa and the people of Masa Machsha. That's the end of that discussion. We will now continue with the Gemara. The Gemara now returns back to the Mishnah. If you recall, there was a dispute in the Mishnah about what happens in the following case. A husband and wife, they are only up to stage one of their marriage. They are in Erisina. 
halachic engagement. They're not living together. Uh, and the husband writes a ksuba, but also adds to the ksuba. He adds more than just the regular 100 or 200. He adds much more than that. And unfortunately, let's say it's a case where he passes away during that, that time period, stage one. So, according to the first opinion, he's obligated to pay everything, both the 100 or 200, and in addition to that, anything else that he included. According to Rabbi Lezer ben Azariah, no, he's only obligated to pay the 200 or the 100. Anything else that he included within that, that was only when he, because he had in mind that he would obligate himself if they actually completed the marriage. They're actually living together. So then, in that case, that's when he'll pay the additional amount. But before that, he never had in mind to pay the additional amount. Okay. So the Gemara will get into a fascinating discussion. Unfortunately, we don't have the time to really get into all the details. Uh, but the Gemara will say, what's the idea behind Rebbelezer ben Azariah? The idea behind Rebbelezer ben Azariah to say that the, he does not have to pay the additional amount is because of a principle called an umdina. An umdina is that could we, if we know what the person is thinking, but the person didn't say it, or it's not written down in the ksuba, but we know with a certain level of certainty, a high level of certainty, that the person meant it to be only applied in a particular situation, so then could we follow that umdina or not? Basically, in our case, Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah is saying that even though it's not written in the Ksuba, that, that uh, he only obligated himself after they, fully, after they get fully married. Um, nevertheless, since we know that this is what he wanted, we know we know that he would never obligate himself unless, um, uh, unless they were fully married. Uh, he wouldn't do such a thing. So Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah uh, is of the opinion that we follow the, the concept of Umdana to say we, we look into, we, we try to figure out what he's thinking, if we have a high level of certainty that we know what he was thinking, that plays a role in how, uh, how much money he has to give to his wife. And it will play a role in other areas of laws also. There's nothing to do with between husband and wife, but with regards to many monetary issues. Um, that's the position of Rabbi Lezer ben Azariah. Again, there's, a, 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 uh, there's another principle in the Torah, uh, in, in the Gemara, called Devarim Shabalev Enim Devarim, that what a person has feels in their heart, it's not really uh, halakhically uh, binding it doesn't logically uh, ex- acceptable to be used uh, to figure out cases um, so there has to be some sort of balance in there maybe if it's a high level of certainty um, so then then we can use it if it's not not but that this will be the assumption of the Gemara within Rabbi Lezer ben Azariah so Itmar it stated Rav Reb Nassan Rav and Reb Nassan have the argument Chad Amr Halachik Rabbi Lezer ben Azariah Chad Amr Halachik Rabbi ben Azariah there's a dispute whether or not we follow this position of Rabbi Lezer ben Azariah or do we follow the Tanakhama the first position that seems to say that we don't follow the umdina, and says that uh, all of the money goes, um, if he passes away, even during the first stage, he has to pay his wife everything. He has to pay his wife even the additional amount. So there's a dispute between Rav and Rav Nassim, who do we follow? So the Gemara wants to say, Tistayim, Rav Nassim, who do Amar, Halachic Rav Lazar ben Azariah. Let us prove that Rav Nassim is the one who says, like Rav Lazar ben Azariah, how do we know that? Jishamina, Lila Rav Nassim, Dazal Basar Umdana. Because we know from elsewhere the Rav says we follow this principle called an umdana, that uh, we follow certain high-level assumptions that a person is thinking. What's the case? Because Rav Nassim says, Halacha, uh, He says that the law follows Rav Shazuri in two cases. Now, the first of these two cases is relevant to us because that has to do with umdana. The first case is Bimasukan. Basically, Rav Shazuri says that if somebody is on their deathbed, they're on their deathbed, and he wants to he wants to give a get a divorce document to his wife, so that his wife um, 
let's say let's say they didn't have any children, he doesn't want her to enter into a situation of Yibam. Let's say he wants to give a get to his wife for whatever the reason is, but and he's on his deathbed. And he says all he says is to write the divorce document, to write the get, but he never said to give it to his wife. So Shimon Suzuri says, Well, we could we there's a good high chance that he really meant to give it, and so therefore one could give the get to his wife. And Rabbi Nassim says, we follow this position of, of Rabbi Shimon Shizuri. So we see that we follow Umdana. We follow this principle of Umdana of looking into the mindset of the person who's talking or the person who's writing this document. Now, we're on Nunheim Abbas on 55b. It's a short, uh, it's a short daf. Um, now, he also follows the position of Rabbi Shimon Shizuri in a different law that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but because he said these two cases, we'll just quote it. Petrumus Maiso shall demai. This is basically, there's a principle that of demai. If there are people who are selling produce, again, produce, one would have to take off various gifts uh, in Israel, uh, various gifts to uh, Kohanim or to the poor or to the Levium before one, one could eat it. So if it's, in general, the the uh, stores should take them off before they sell it to you. And therefore, you could just eat whatever is given to you. However, for people who are less uh, knowledgeable in the laws, uh, and they didn't know, uh, and were concerned that they didn't know what to do. So then, this created a suffix. It's, it's a questionable situation whether or not uh, they could uh, they took it off or not. So therefore, we're machmir, we're stringent to say that the person who bought it from them should take off their own uh, the truma and the meiser, these different gifts that are given to the poor and to the kohanim and to the levim. They should take it off themselves. So what happens in the following case where uh, they bought it, but then it got mixed in with other food? Uh, let's say they separated truma. They separated truma's meiser. Uh, portion of the food that's supposed to be given to the Kohen that gets mixed in with other food. Now now he lost all that other food. He can't eat that other food. All he can do with it is give it to a Kohen. But he lost all that food. So Bishman Shizuri says, oh, we could be lenient. We could ask the seller, even though he's an Amaretzi, he's not knowledgeable uh, in these laws. And there is a question. We, in this case, to prevent the loss, a monetary loss, we'll ask him. And uh, if he's okay with it, so if he says that he already took it off, we'll believe him with regards to this to make sure that there's no loss from the from the buyers, so that the buyer doesn't lose out because it got mixed in with other food. Okay, that that's really a separate law, nothing to do with really what we're discussing. But the point is that that Reb Nassan follows Reb Shimon Shizuri for the first law. We follow Umdana, the principle of Umdana, that we look into what the, the person is um, is is uh, thinking, not just what they write down. The Gemara then asks, "You're going to tell me now that Rav, the one who argues Reb Nassan, lowers the buzzer Umdana? He doesn't go based on Umdana?" He doesn't go based on looking into what they're thinking. Essentially, Essentially, we have a case here which Rav is ruling in. The case here is that in general, let's say a person's on their deathbed, if they want to give a gift, they could just speak, even though in general speech will not accomplish anything, uh, halakhically, uh, will not allow for a gift to be given. But here, speech by a, somebody who's on their deathbed will work. This is an exception to the rule, and it will work. But let's say uh, the person, uh, they, they, they're giving a, a gift, but they write down, uh, when they're writing this down, they're not just speaking it, but they're writing it down, but they're writing it down in the language of a regular Kenyan as a regular transaction. And so which route are you taking? Are you taking the route of a regular transaction or are you taking the route of um, 
of a Manash as somebody who's on their deathbed. What are the ramifications to that? There are a few. Uh, one of them is, for example, let's say he gets better. So is he allowed to go back on it? Is he allowed to go back on that gift? So if he, gets, if he heals and he gets better, if it's, if it's through the regular way, so then he gave it, he gave it. There's nothing you can do about it. But if it's because he was on his deathbed, therefore we had certain leniencies for him just to say it and it will work. So then if he gets better, he's allowed to take it back because he never planned on giving it unless, uh, unless, he, got, uh, unless he died. Uh, if he got better, so then he would not have given it in the first place. Um, so, the, so in this case, it's somebody who's on the deathbed, but they're using the language of a regular Kenyan. Rav says that we have to um, apply both. Basically, uh, assume, that, assume both, that he wants both. The point is we look into his heart because he used the language of a regular Kenyan. Rav says we look into his heart, into the umdah, what is he really feeling? What is he really thinking? And he's really thinking that he wants it to act as both so that he, the guy would receive it. Um, and and uh, let's say if he got better, the, the receiver would still receive it. And that's what Rav says. Shmuel says we don't know. It's uh, so ambiguous. We're not sure. There's a lack of clarity here. We're not sure which direction to take. And therefore, we don't know. And therefore, uh, he, he wouldn't obligate himself. Rav would say that, no, we look into what he's saying, into what he's thinking, and he would obligate himself. But the point at the end of the day is that Rav, we see, also applies the principle of Lamdana. He also says, let's, let's try to figure out what he's thinking. And if, we have, if we're pretty confident in what he's thinking, even though it wasn't written down or even though he didn't say it, we would apply it. So the Gemara, just we'll conclude the Gemara, uh, for the next couple of lines, we're now on Nunvava Manala, 56a. Ela Tarvayu Azli Basar Umdana. So the Gemara in the end says, both Rav and Rabnasan, they both follow the principle of Umdana. They both follow this principle of Umdana that one could uh, look into uh, what they're thinking. Even though they didn't, even though they didn't write it down or say it, Manda Amar Halacha Shapir Manda Rein Halacha Hachanami Umdin Daita Mishum Ikruve Daita Hu Vahai Krovele Daita. Basically, the Gemara says, "What's the argument then between these two opinions about whether or not we follow Rabbi Lazar ben Azaria?" Again, Rabbi Lazar ben Azaria said that uh, the added amount for the Ksuba only kicks in; that obligation only kicks in after they're fully married, and then he dies. But if you were to die during the first age, so then. They would not receive that added amount. So the argument really is not about whether or not we follow him dinah. We do follow him dinah. We do look into what the person's thinking. But the question is, what was he thinking? According to one opinion, he was thinking that um, it's only a complete marriage once they're actually living together, and then he's obligating himself. The other opinion says that no, we're already close. We have already have a relationship. We've already reached stage one of this marriage. We're not living together, but we've reached stage one of this marriage, and I'm already going to. Obli- I will obligate myself, uh, and and. Uh, and therefore, the additional amount I would have to pay if the husband saying if he would die. Um, and so it's really not an argument about umdana, but it's really an argument about what was he really thinking? What was he really thinking? Was he thinking that he should only pay after they complete the marriage? Or would he pay, would he pay even if it's in this, uh, um, in this stage one of the marriage? So this completes the Gemara. This actually completes the, the daf. We, we finished the daf in one recording. It's a very short daf. Uh, but just to share one uh, application of this principle of an umdana, that we really look into what the person is thinking. If we, if we know with a high level of certainty that this is what he was thinking, it's a very, uh, applies in many different uh, monetary situations. Uh, so for one example, let's say there's somebody who is uh, a middleman and he's purchasing items from the seller to then resell it as a middleman, and he tells the seller that the reason why I'm making such a big order with you is because I have people who have already made orders with me to buy it, um, and so that's why I'm making this order with you. And that's all he says. He doesn't say more than that. But then it comes out that the the uh, 
um, the person that he wanted, the middleman wanted to sell it to, backed out of the deal. He agreed initially, but he backed out of the deal. So then the the rule is that Ruvain, let's say the middleman, he's now then allowed to go to the original seller and back out of the deal. He, he could tell him, listen, I told you that the reason why I'm making such a big order with you is because I have other people who want it uh, and they're going to buy from me, but they backed out. So once they backed out from me, I could back out of our deal, uh, which is a novel idea. It's not so simple. It's uh, One could definitely could understand it differently, but uh, if we take this principle of Umdana and say that, no, we have to really look not just at what they're writing, but also what they're saying, what they're thinking, uh, so then that would impact uh, this situation and many, many other situations. Um, it's a very important principle to to try to figure out when it applies, when it doesn't apply, uh, but that's uh, for us to study in greater detail on our own. Okay, that completes the daf, and we'll continue with the next daf in next week's uh, class.